So as we get started today, I want a little known fact or do a fun fact for you. Uh, did you know there are two primary types of fiction authors? I love to read. I love to read both nonfiction and fiction, and I really like the idea of story and the way stories are crafted and put together. There's two primary ways that people write and develop stories. You've got your planners. These are the individuals who go ahead of time and they plan out on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard or on an, a digital app or on something. They, they plan the plot from start to finish. They plan like, okay, this is going to be a six-book series, seven-book series. We're going to do all these things. We're going to have these moments and the big conflict, you know, and then we're, uh, these are going to be the characters, and they have everything planned out. They have the subplot planned out. They have the main plot planned out. They have the character plot, all of it planned out, and when you see their notes, if you've ever seen one of these individuals' notes, it's crazy. There's just connections everywhere, and they have all these different things. Um, which is cool, and you know some of these people. Uh, J.K. Rowling in the Harry Potter series, she's done it before. In fact, you can go online and see some of her outlines and the way that she connected and planned that whole thing out. Um, C.S. Lewis, those of you that know C.S. Lewis, he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That was done with a planner. He's a planner, planner in mind, kind of the overarching story was laid out beforehand. Those are my fantasy and sci-fi people. Where are you in the room? I'm a nerd. I like that stuff, okay? I like fantasy and sci-fi stuff too. So in that... Brandon Sanderson, the king of sci-fi and fantasy, he's a planner. He lays it all out. He puts it all on there. And uh, then if you've ever read a thriller series or like the military thrillers, Jack Carr is a new author. He actually plans it out and plots everything out. That's the one option is to plan it, the planner. The other option is what they call the pantser, okay? They call it pantsing because you're flying by the seat of your pants, it's literally what they call it in the writing world. They call it that because there's no planning involved at all. They just go ahead and throw it on the piece of paper, and they say, we're going to write a story about John Smith. And then they just start writing, and the story develops around this idea. The argument for them is that they want to develop the character because if you plan the plot, they say that you won't be able to develop the character as well as if you start writing the character, the character develops themselves. It's all artisty kind of stuff, right? So... There's some famous authors that do this too. Anybody heard of Stephen King? He does not plan one novel. And it's for that argument. He says, we're not planning it because then the characters don't take center stage. The plot takes center stage, and I want the characters to. If you've ever read a Stephen King novel, it's very heavy on character development compared to some others. Margaret Atwood, she is also one of those individuals who flies by the seat of their pants. Mark Twain, anybody heard of Mark Twain? Does the same thing. He was totally right. He just started writing. Got an idea. We're going to write it down. Neil Gaiman. Has anybody heard of Neil Gaiman and American Gods and Good Omens turned into some Sandman, any of those TV series you've seen? Those were books first, and he just starts writing. What's really fun about him, fun fact, not useful, but fun fact, he writes everything in a book beforehand by hand with a fountain pen. He writes it by hand, and then he transcribes it later onto a digital format. So, fun fact. Anyway, there's two types of individuals when it comes to writing and developing a novel. You've got your planners, and then you've got your pantsers. And both of them, I mean, I just mentioned some amazing authors on both sides of the coin. You can plan, you cannot plan. It really doesn't seem to matter. It seems to matter that you do whatever works for you and that you're able to execute it. The same is not true for your finances. You cannot fly by the seat of your pants financially and hope to reach an end goal. 
More on that in just a second. We're in a series titled Keep the Change. And if you were here last week, you heard me talk about the story that kind of inspired this idea because um, I was at dinner one time with some friends and I had a friend that just paid for dinner and left a large tip and he just said, keep the change as if it was nothing. And I thought, well, I want to be a keep the change kind of person. I want to be able to say that and have that type of attitude and heart posture of generosity so that started to influence the decisions that I made so that I could be that type of individual. And here's what I know about all of you sitting in this room. None of you want to be ruled by greed. Every one of you want to be in a generous person and lead with that idea of keep the change. So we're taking steps in this series to figure out how exactly we're going to do that. And many people hear that and go, look, Brandon, I don't want to talk about money at church. I'm not interested. I mean, I'm happy that this many showed up after you knew I was going to talk about money for a second week. <laughs> last week, I told you we're in the series. Won't tell you how long. And y'all came back because last week I was like, maybe I have like three people here this week. So I'm happy that you guys came back. The thing is, is that we sit back and we think that money is separate and it needs to be its own individual piece and we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to touch it. And I certainly don't want the church to talk about it. And I don't really want God involved, except when I need money, then I'll pray, God, can you please make sure this comes through? But I don't want you in there any other time. I only want you there when I need you, when I pray for you. Um, but the truth is, and we learned this last week, that money is part of our relationship with God. Money is part of your relationship with God. In fact, that's why Jesus teaches about it. If Jesus didn't teach about it, then maybe you have an argument. But Jesus teaching about money tells us that it was important, and the managing of it is important to your heavenly Father, and it's important to us then. How do we do that? The answer is difficult. Last week we learned that we are managers of God's money. We learned that it all belongs to the Lord. That, and that is so challenging, and I hope that you wrestled with that question last week and wrestled with that reality, that it all belongs to the Lord. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're not a Jesus follower in the room and you're not, you're not a follower of Christ, then you don't, you know, I don't have any authority over you and Jesus doesn't have any authority over you. Um, but I would, I would argue that if you think it's all yours, you can't take it with you. So I would argue that you probably, it's not as much yours as you think it is. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you know that you didn't create it all. You didn't, you could probably go through a list of how many things had to work right in your life for you to get to where you are financially. You could probably write it down on a piece of paper. Man, if this didn't work, I would be, I'm, I'm a couple bad decisions or a couple of lucky breaks away from not living the life that I am right now. I mean, I think we can all sit, that, sit back and do that. But we learned last week that as followers of Jesus, that we are managers of God's money. And we left off with this statement that kind of became our theme verse for this series. And it's a challenging theme verse, and I picked it on purpose. I went back and forth between an easier one, but then I thought Jesus never took the easy way out, so I'm not going to either. And this is our kind of theme verse for this series, and it's where we left off last week. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Remember, again, this is challenging. This is challenging. He says, either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The implications being that you will serve one or the other. You either serve yourself with your money, you serve what you want, you serve money, or you serve God with your money. And again, we're all uncomfortable now, and I just wanted to get that right out there so we're all uncomfortable together right at the beginning of it so that we don't squirm the rest of the way through because that's our theme verse for the series. Now, quick disclaimer, not asking for money, okay? Not asking for money. The plates are not coming back around. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Okay, now that you spit all over the person in front of you, 
We're not coming back around. This is not ending in a building campaign. We're not bringing it back around or anything like that. I don't want anything from you. Jesus doesn't want anything from you. It's not like God's sitting in heaven like, man, if I could just get what Brandon has. That's not how it is. He doesn't, look, he doesn't feel that way. So it's not about that. It's actually that I want everything for you and that Jesus wants it for you. And he knows, as well some of us in the room know, that greed, when it gets a hold of you, rules your life. And so we've got to get a handle on that. We've got to figure out how to do that. So the question obviously becomes, if we're, not, if we're just managers of God's money, how do I manage money well? How do I manage it well? I mean, last week we learned that we're just managers. So maybe we sat back and you went home, and I surely hope you did, and you talked to your wife or your husband about it, and you guys wrestled with this, and you said, you know what? We're going to view it all. We're going to shift our mindset. We're going to view it all as if it's God's money. So then the question becomes, how do I manage that well? What do I do next? What's the next step for me in that regard? How do I, how do, I do that? And Jesus teaches on this. He actually gives a very specific teaching on how to manage money well. Well, he actually teaches you how to not do it. He says, this is how you don't do it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 15. Now, this verse is jumping in where Jesus is teaching. He's teaching to a large crowd, and as he's teaching to this large crowd, there's a man that comes up, and he says, Lord, I want you, Jesus, pay attention, Jesus, I want you to settle a dispute between me and my brother, okay? Settle a dispute between me and my brother because we're arguing with one another, and I, he took the inheritance, and I think he should have to split the inheritance. So Jesus, you need to handle this argument. And Jesus is like, that's not really what I'm here for, and I'm not really interested in to have that argument with you at all. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. If you're there, say word. All right, the word of the Lord says this. Then he said to them, so Jesus just heard this guy. This guy just said, hey, I want you to split up my possessions. And then Jesus says, who appointed me arbiter between you and your brother? I'm not doing that. I'm not the, I'm not, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not interested in that. The law already said something about it, not interested. So he's not going to have that conversation is his point. But then he turns to the rest of the crowd. This is powerful. He turns to the rest of the crowd and uses it as a teaching moment. And this teaching moment makes everybody in the room uncomfortable. Everybody's sitting around uncomfortable the same way it does for us. Jesus says this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, against all kinds of greed. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, which if you watch TV, like you watched Ohio State beat Notre Dame last night, you probably saw a lot of the commercials. You saw a lot of the commercials. Woo, shots fired. You heard a lot of the commercials. Makes you feel as though that it's all about your possessions, right? I had to slip it. I had to, slip, I had to get it in there. It's okay. I was texting my friends, and I was sweating too, okay? I was sweating all the way down to the last minute. Anyway, that's not why you came to church. The point is, Jesus says, look, look, look. It's not about what you can get. Which this man who's in this, this story raises his hand says, Jesus split the inheritance. He goes, no, 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 it's not about that. And then Jesus sees an opportunity to teach. He says, hey, everybody pay attention. Your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, it doesn't, now notice he doesn't say it's wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong to have things, right? I mean, every one of us has things. I have things. I like, let me just be completely upfront with you. Every time I teach on this subject, it's difficult because I like stuff. 
My wife's right there. You can ask. I buy gadgets when I can. I, I, I just, I like stuff. I like, I think it's cool. Technology's a big weakness for me. I like to buy guns too. So like, there's this, I like stuff. I like an abundance of things. But then I hear verses like that and I'm like, Jesus, why are you coming to me like that, bro? Like, chill, dude. It ain't that serious. According to him, it is that serious. That if we're not careful, uh, we will place the uh, importance of our life or the most important thing in our life will become our possessions. Again, you can only serve two masters, one or the other. And so Jesus tells them a parable because he gets their attention, tells them a parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store up my crops. This is Jesus telling a parable to illustrate his point about an abundance of possessions. Then the man said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. Now, at first we hear that and we go, yeah, good money management. I mean, the guy is running out of space to store things. So he essentially just opens up a new bank account. What's wrong with that? I mean, he's not spending it on himself. He's not spending it all on his world. He's not building mansions and building things for himself. So, so what's the problem? And at first you hear that and you go, it's not bad. He's just preparing for life in the future. But again, that's kind of the problem. He's only preparing for his life in the future. He's only preparing for his life in the future, and there's not an acknowledgement whatsoever, which is a key part. There's no acknowledgement whatsoever for where it came from. It's just his. In his mind, it's all mine, and it's all mine, and I can do whatever I want, and it's all for my consumption. I can spend it how I want. I can save it how I want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's all mine. Then he says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, meaning I'm all chill. It's going to be so good. We're fine. And then I'll take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm just kidding. Don't say that. It's the bad guy in the story. I got you. You guys just seem if you were awake. But he says, and I mean, we sit back, we hear that, we go, yeah, what's wrong? I don't see what's wrong. Come on, what's wrong with that, Brandon? I mean, come on, eat, drink, and be merry. That sounds like the life. I mean, didn't Solomon eat, drink, and be merry? I mean, come on. Which is, yes, God wants us to be happy, but he cares more about your holiness than your happiness. You should write that down. He cares more about your holiness than your happiness. So if your happiness gets in the way of your holiness, do not, and I love you. In fact, look at your neighbor, tell preacher love you, it's going to be okay. Tell him that. If your happiness gets in the way of your holiness, do not be surprised if God messes with your happiness. We okay? Everybody all right? There's times that he will mess with your happiness if your happiness gets in the way of your holiness. Because he's trying to get you to be more like him every day day. So it makes us uncomfortable. We hear this, we go, ooh, Jesus, I don't know. I mean, come on, we want to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, but that's getting in the way of this man's holiness. And then Jesus hits us with a quick one-two punch because he's real good at that. But God said to him, remember in a parable, there's always two characters. There's the you character and there's the God character. We just introduced the God character. Who do you think you are? The other guy. There's only two. It's the other guy. They just told us it's God. You're the other guy. You're the guy with the barn. And he says, you fool. God said to him, you fool. <laughs> and we're all like, I didn't see anything foolish. 
I didn't see anything foolish with what he did. I didn't see anything foolish with what he said he's going to do. Nothing seems wrong. And the first time I read that, I didn't see a problem either. And at first I'm like, come on, what's the problem? He's just preparing for the future. That seems to me good financial stewardship, does it not? I mean, every time you sit down with a financial advisor, they tell you to put away for the future, put away for the future. Have your 401k, you know, have all these things. What's wrong with that? But Jesus makes a point. The issue was not, he was not foolish because he was rich. That's important. He wasn't foolish because he had wealth. It wasn't, he wasn't foolish for anything else other than he was selfish with his resources. In his mind, it was all his and it was all for his consumption. Either now or later, didn't matter. It was all his and it was all for his consumption, either now or or later. So he was a fool not because he had wealth. He was a fool because he thought it was all for him. And Jesus says this, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then he's making a point. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? We know the answer, somebody else. Not him. He's not taking it with him. Not only that, somebody else is going to get it because he's dead. Not because he's generous, not because he gave with a big heart, not because he's told them to keep the change, not because he cha has a change of heart and he's making an impact in his community or making an impact in the area that he's in or caring for his family. None of that at all. Somebody else is going to get his resources because he died. He died. That's it. That's the only reason somebody's going to get anything else. And of course, we, we get, remember the point last week? We are managers of God's money. This guy missed that point. He missed the point that we are managers of God's money. And then Jesus kind of wraps up the statement. And as he wraps this statement up, it, um, it confuses us at times because he just kind of moves right on. But there's a key phrase here that is so powerful and kind of should be our northern stars. we figure out financially how do we interact with God because it's an uncomfortable conversation. He says this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Let me read the whole thing together. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And we hear, oh, come on, Jesus, that's a hard statement. That's so difficult. What do you, I mean, first of all, what do you mean? Rich towards God, what does that even mean? How do I become rich towards God? What, what does that look like? Do I just give all my money away to charity? Do I just give everything away? Like, come on, how do I be rich towards God? Now, this, is an this has application all across your life. But remember, Jesus is specifically speaking about finances and resources here. So how on earth does that happen? Being rich towards God means that we honor God with our finances. That the goal of every time we interact with our finances, and this is so challenging, and I'm not going to pretend that I get it right all the time, okay? I'm not going to pretend that at all. This is such a challenging reality, and it's so hard to wrestle to the ground. But if we are followers of Jesus, and we want to be rich towards God, then we, and the goal of our financial management should be to honor God with our finances every step of the way. Every step of the way. So, and you go, okay, what does that mean? 
Like, I'm not even sure how to do that. I mean, come on, how do I honor God with my finances? Do I, do I just not drink Starbucks anymore? And for some of you, you'd be like, huh? I need a different church. I can't do that. Does that mean I can't eat a triple Big Mac? Is that not honoring God with my finances? No, that's not what he's saying. It's, it's a heart issue. It's a positioning of your heart. And it means this, that, that God's priorities financially are your priorities financially. That if you're going to honor God with your finances, it means that it's not all about you, which is what the man in the parable thought. That God's priorities financially become your priorities financially. And that is so difficult because we know God's priorities financially. Jesus demonstrates them time and time again. In fact, we did our devotion today in the huddle with the volunteers, and we talked about it last week too, and I'm going to talk about it next week too. Jesus even says it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first whose kingdom? Does anybody know? His kingdom. So when we sit back and we go, oh, man, I don't know how to honor God with my finances. I'm not sure how to put God's priorities financially. Is my priorities financially? Jesus says, it's very simple. Seek first his kingdom. And then everything else will be given to you. Meaning when you place God first, everything else just kind of falls in line. We'll talk about that more next week. The tough part is, is many of us have been running with my priorities. My priorities. And my priorities look something like this. I get the paycheck, and I spend it on what I want. I put a little away from savings, right? I got to pay the NFL Sunday ticket. Got to get the newest iPhone. Got to get the, I know, come on. It's okay. It's all right. I love you guys. It's all right. Preacher loves you. I got to spend it on the extra ESPN. The new Disney Plus movie thing just came out, so I got to get that. I got to make sure I have it on the Netflix. I've got at least five Starbucks stops between now and Monday, so I got to make sure I factor that in. And then, you know, I got all these other things that I really, 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 really want. So, like, I got to get this new thing here, get this new thing here. And we spend and we spend and we spend. And then after that, we go... I'm going to save a little bit because I'm so frugal. I'm going to save. I'm going to save. It's going to be $100. I'm going to save. It's going to be so nice. And I'm going to put away for the future. And then we come into church and we pray over the offering. And as the bucket goes by, you go, oh, man, what's going on? Quarter. But I'm going to pray next. I'm going to pray this week, though, Lord. Everybody take a deep breath. We have been living, and most of us live in a way where it is spend what I get, save, and then give what's left. That I'm going to spend everything first, save what's convenient, or save what's going to build towards my kingdom, and then I'm going to give whatever's left. And if there's nothing that week, there's nothing that week. If there's nothing to pour into any of the extra things that I see, and the thing is, is it's a, because, and this is what I know, every time, and you could tell if you're one of these individuals because we'll get up here and we'll talk about one of the big initiatives we're doing and one of the things we're able to partner with, and you'll want to give so bad. Your heart will break, and you'll want to give, and you'll want to give, but you don't have any margin, so you can't. It's not a that you don't want to. It's a that there's no margin, and the management hasn't been good. So when God and the Holy Spirit taps on your heart and says, hey, hey, that's one of the things I want you to do, or hey, 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 I want to move that percentage from 2% to 3% or 3% to 4% or 10% to 11%, and he says, hey, hey, I'm ready for you to go to the next level financially, and you sit back and you go, hold on, no, 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 I can't do that. I have it planned. 
because I spend everything first. I save after that, and then I kind of give whatever's left. That's not living as a wise manager. That's living as owner. When you spend first, you're living as owner. It's all mine, and we're no different than the man in the parable because we're living with the attitude of it's mine, and I'm just going to put it away in the barn and then eat, drink, and be merry. Hallelujah. But the problem is we leave something on the table. So to prioritize what God wants in the future, or prioritize what God wants for his kingdom, then we have to flip the script on how we do that. And this is going to be challenging. I want you to write this down because you really got to talk about it with your spouse. You really have to wrestle with it in the mirror. You need to put it on a piece of paper. There's plenty of options out there for what we're about to talk about. But remember, last week our action step was tracking it. Where is my money going is the first question we've got to figure out. Where is it all going? Because for some of us, we get to the end of the week and I'm like, I don't know where it went. It gone. I don't know. Somebody's got it. Not sure who. Not me. But somebody's got it. So we're gonna, we, last week we learned that we have to track it. This week we're going to learn how to manage it. And if we're going to make God's priorities financially, our priorities financially, that means we have to flip the script. We have to give first, save second, and spend the rest. We have to give first, save second, and live on the rest. Look something like this. Giving first that means that you decide ahead of time. It goes all the way back to the verse we started with. You are declaring when you decide to give money away, you are declaring that it is not the ruler over you. And let me tell you this right now, and, 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 I, and I love you, but I can tell you this from experience. If you have trouble writing that check first and putting that check somewhere, it doesn't even have to be in the offering plate. If you sit back and go, this just feels like you're trying to get our money, Brandon, fine, don't give it here. Give it somewhere else. I don't care. I'm trying to free you from financial hardship and free you from greed ruling your life. So if you sit back and say, no, 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 I don't want to give it to this church, then find a place to give it. Although I would encourage you to go and find a church that you can feel comfortable giving to. Different conversation. But <laughs> got real, real fast. Got out of control for me. Anyway, that you should. You should find a place that you can give and steward and, and financially support. But my point is, is that if you struggle writing that check first, the money might be your master. It might be your master. And look, I've been that person. And if I sat here and told you every time I write the check that I don't ever feel a little bit of something inside of me, I would be lying. Because I see how much we give, and I go, man, I could, I could get something nice with that. But I don't want greed to rule my life. I refuse for money to be my master. Jesus is my master. I have one Lord, and it's Jesus. And I'm not going to let money or an abundance of possessions rule my life. So you decide ahead of time. And it's you sitting there saying, money, you are not my Master, You are a means to an end. You are a tool to further God's kingdom. You are a tool to further God's kingdom. So you have to decide ahead of time. So when you plan and you make it all out, you decide ahead of time. You don't wait. You don't wait till you get the check and you already know kind of what you want to buy. And then you say, man, I want to give some of it away now. No, no, no. Decide ahead of time. Decide ahead of time. We do this as a church. I do this, we do this as a family, but we do this as a church too. 
We started, we upped the number, we give away 10%. Normally it goes into a local missions and outreach account that we use. But for the time being, I just felt like God was leaning on us to, to just give it away completely, that it doesn't even stay in our bank account. So every week, 10% of what comes in, every month actually, every month goes right out the door. From now at least until January, we're not, we're not saving any of it. It's going to go right out the door to the different organizations. In fact, let me show you what God's able to do. In just one month, we helped six women be free from sexual slavery through our partners at Reach the Philippines. Just this month, you provided over 600 meals through the Fredericksburg Food Bank. You can hold your applause because there's a couple other wins. We worked with a group called the 516 Project, and when we donated specifically to them, we helped a single mother who had a leaking roof and a disabled veteran who needed a wheelchair ramp built at their house. We worked with Choices, and we helped with ultrasounds, counseling, and infant supplies for moms that were in need. And not only that, that's in conjunction with every month us sending diapers to a family who wouldn't be able to afford it on their own. That's just with giving the 10% with what God has done. I can't make that kind of impact. You can't make that kind of impact. But God can. And what's the most powerful is that's when we decide to give ahead of time. So I sat with Teresa, who's our connections director, and I said, look, beginning of the month, I don't want to wait till the end of the month. We're not giving, we're not giving at the end. I refuse to do that. We are going to send it out immediately. As soon as we get here, the first of the month, and she knows, sending it out, first of the month, right away, before it even gets here. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that means that you build his kingdom first, and then your kingdom second. Seek first his kingdom, and everything else will be given unto you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I say give to something that doesn't benefit you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to give to the church. And if you say, no, I can't give to this church, then, then, I, then hey, let me free you. Go find a church you can give to because they need your help. And they are reaching people because that's the way God builds his kingdom. But you have to plan it. You have to make a decision and plan. The second thing is save. Save. And again, same thing as give. Plan ahead. Plan ahead. That means make wise decisions now. Joseph in Egypt. Joseph in Egypt sat down and decided, based on what he knew was coming, saved the grain ahead of time so that they could feed the Egyptians. It was because of what Joseph did and the decision that he made to save and plan for the future that kept Egypt alive. And then the last one is then you live. Then you live. Within the right and left, left and right lateral limits of your life, right? You're not overspending. You're not crazy spending out of control. You've got guardrails in place. You've got margin, right? So it's this flipping the script to give first, save second, Live on the rest. And here's the key. Just write this down. Do it in percentages. Do not do it in hard numbers. Do it in percentages. You're going to give X amount of percent. You're going to save X amount of percent. 
And then I want to live. You need to determine on how much of your income you're going to live on. Because believe it or not, you are going to live on a percentage of your income. You are going to live on a percentage of your income. Some of us in this room are living on 112% of our income. <laughs> and you're going to look at it last week and you tracked it. And you were like, oh, wow, look at that. How'd that happen? I'm so good. 112%. How does that work? The idea is to be lower than 100 but if you decide what you're going to live on, if you decide what you're going to live on ahead of time, then you can plan the rest. So here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway this week. I want you to go home. I want you to make a plan. Last week, you tracked the money. This week, I want you to make a plan. Because good managers have a plan. If you had a financial manager come in for your business or for your life, and they came in and you said, so... What's the plan for this month? And they're like, I don't know, dude. How you feeling? You're going to fire them before they're even out of the room. You're going to be like, what? No, I want you to come with a plan. Like, we, show me how I'm gonna, you're going to invest the money. Show me how you're going to save the money, right? And, and uh, you know, just take this the right way. Why do we feel like God's any different? I mean, if we're managers, then we need a plan. We need to have a plan. So I encourage you to sit down with your husband or your wife or with yourself, and I want you to write it down. I want you to come up with a plan. Now, listen, do not set a crazy exorbitant number that you're never going to be able to reach. If you're only giving like 2% right now, don't sit there and say, I'm going to give 30% and then I'm going to save 15% and live on 65%. What? No, you haven't been living that way up to this point, so don't do that. Start making adjustments to where you can get to a healthy place. And then each year, Make adjustments, make adjustments, make adjustments. You've heard it said like, I've heard it said like this before. Um, if you don't have a plan, you can plan to fail. It's not that you don't want to be generous, and it's not that you don't want to have money saved up for the future. I know that everybody in here wants to do that. You want to have money saved up, and you want to be generous. But that can only happen if you plan ahead of time. And in that plan... We have to be careful to not become like the man in the parable where we look at it and we say, it's all mine all the time and I can spend it however I want. And this teaching makes all of us uncomfortable and we don't like it. But you're not an author. You can't fly by the seat of your pants on this one. You have to plan it out ahead of time. So culture tells us to spend what we want first Save what we kind of feel like after that, whatever feels good, um, and then we just give anything extra that we have. But keep the change kind of people. They flip the script. They give first, they save for their future second, and then they live on the rest. So when God speaks to them and the Holy Spirit touches them and says, hey, this is one of the things I want you to do, they have the margin and they're capable to say things like, keep the change. And every one of us want to be one of those people. So week one, we learned that we are managers of God's money. And this week, we learned that we need to give first, save second, and live on the rest. So make a plan.